Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. Over Christmas, we've taken a short break. So we decided to, instead of just talking about one movie, we would sit down and talk about all four of the new movies that we saw over the holiday break. So today we're going to talk about Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues, American Hustle, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug, and Frozen. So I thought we might start at the start of that list. Anchorman 2, it's not called Anchorman 2, the Anchorman inning. It is Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues. Katie, what was that about? Famous Anchorman Ron Burgundy lost his job and his girl all at once, but he's given a new chance when he's offered a job at a crazy new 24 hours news channel. 24 hour news channel. I wrote it right and said it wrong. <laughs> Good job, me. Yeah, that's... Um, that's And it's directed by Adam McKay. Okay, cool. I, I've not heard of him, but cool. Mm. I don't think I had before this either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's basically the return of Ron Burgundy, mm-hmm. the famous anchorman from the first film that was 10 years ago now. What, 2002, yep. I think? so. 2004, so 10 oh. years ago from this year. So, mm. yeah, nine years ago from mm. when it came out. And it's about uh, – it, the first one was about a um, an anchorman in the 60s. I feel like it's 70s slash early 70s maybe. Early 70s? Because this one definitely this looks like it was early set 80s. in... Was it? Yeah, because it's the start of cable news networks since that's kind of co- coincides with the 80s. Oh, it looks like it was set in the 70s, this one, more than the last one It's, it's roughly the same era as American Hustle, actually. Okay. Yeah. So, um, there you go. It's set in the 70s. Mm. Ron Burgundy is a sort of a blustering, womanizing, an- famous anchorman. Uh, and in the first one, he fell in love with the female anchor from his news station. At first he hated her and then he came to love her. And it's very popular comedy, very yeah. quotable and everybody knows it. And everybody knows cult. lines from it. Yeah. And so they came back with Anchorman 2, which I think uh, is probably not as good as the first one. Yeah, it's not, it's not as good. It was one of those kind of things that seems to happen now where if a movie was huge and popular, it must therefore reunite all of its cast to have a sequel. Yeah, I think um I think they they wanted to do well with it. There was this thing that like in the trailers it looked like they were going to do a storyline about um about like social changes. Right. Right? So like there were black news anchor like their their boss is a black woman and there's a gay news anchor and all this sort of thing in the trailer. The mm. movie that came out wasn't that movie. Like, the message of Anchorman 2 was basically just a really boring one about valuing your family more than your job, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, it was also about Ron Burgundy learning to cope with change and new environment, which was, I think, the whole where they were going with that. And I don't know, because really the, the, the ultimate point just seemed to be for him to, like, connect with his son and his... Well, that was part of it, but it was also about him adapting to the new way of doing news and he and it turned it out and turned out that the lowbrow news that we enjoy now, enjoy, <laughs> was, you know, perfectly suited to him and he was able to reinvent himself from this 70s lounge suit yeah, guy. I don't know. That didn't seem to be a point. Like, that was... To me, that was the whole point. I feel like a lot of points of this movie just sort of got lost along the way because that thing just ended once the idiotic blindness yeah, thing so kicked I have, in. Yeah, and I, that's like the whole last third of the movie. So how can it be the whole point of the movie if the whole last third of the movie the isn't whole about point. that? I just said to me that was kind of the – his journey was about learning to cope with the new – anyway, but but 
I do admit to getting a bit bored by the <laughs> blind shark lighthouse sequence. <laughs> yeah, that was boring. I got, it didn't have any brick or or um, yeah. Paul Rudd in it, and I got bored too. <laughs> I So I kind of got lost my way. The movie was too long, I think. Mm. I think it probably could have cut it, so, you know, it could have cut down in – and I guess part of the humor of the first one was that something th- this group do humor where things go on just a little bit too long, like that fight sequence in the first one, which is repeated here at the climax of this one. Yeah. So I get that that's kind of their humor, but I do. I felt like it was. It, let me look it up. I feel like it was a two-hour movie. Yeah, it was too long. Yeah, it was. I agree that it was too long. So I, um, if that dealt with that a lot quicker. I just think that, like, it would have done a lot better if they had cut it down to, like, a really simple storyline and a slightly less sentimental one, maybe, because the first one is funny because Mm. it, I think part of the reason why the humor in the first one that's, like, the nasty sort of misogynistic stuff in the first one works is because the whole point of the movie is that that's wrong. Yep. Right? So it works because the character is being proven wrong in that belief. Yep. This one doesn't do that and therefore it doesn't work a lot of the time. And I think there's still some really, really interesting stuff. Yeah, the cat wants to come in. Um, yeah. I yeah. think there's still there was interesting stuff in the background that didn't really take the foreground. Um, I also thought that having the black female boss um develop a romantic relationship with Ron was a big mistake oh, and that was oh, stupid. I, yeah, you've reminded me of something I had a massive problem with. She assaults him. She sexually assaults him. Yeah. That is not cool. Rape jokes don't work, people. Like, it's a bad idea. It doesn't matter who the perpetrator is. Yeah. Don't make jokes about sexual assault. And the ba- it seemed <sighs> like the only reason that they set that up. Well, there seemed to be two reasons they set that up. One, so that they could have Ron go back and meet her family. And again, that would have been funny if the whole point of the movie was about him learning to accept more right. progressive. And, and, and that scene is done very well. Yeah. In that it show, shows what an idiot he is in, in, in having this, in behaving in this way. Although the other thing, of course, of him learning to cope with the new world of news is that his idiocy is absolutely perfect for it. He's yeah. rewarded for being the colossal dick that he is. Yeah. But the thing is, that would have been really funny if it had, if the point of the movie had been not to do that. But the point of the movie wasn't not to do that. And the mm. point of the movie wasn't that, like, how to deal with progressive, you know, new things happening in your work. That's not the point of the movie. The point of the movie is be better with your kid. Like, yeah. and that's really, really just the, Although like, the main issue. And there's so many other things that go on in this movie all over the place. Right, like him hooking up with the black boss, and like the mm. lighthouse stuff, and like the progressive stuff, and it's all just a ha- grab bag of different ideas, and they don't actually pull it together properly. Mm. Yeah, because it actually is important to his character journey that he a learns to move on in the news world because the TV world has moved on without him, but it also is also important that he learns to move on with his family and connect with his son and uh, not be such a dick to his wife and all that. That's actually important. It's an important journey for him, I think. It's and it, Maybe uh, if that was the B plot and the other one was the A mm, plot, it would strike me better. The other thing, I just remembered something else. The, his, his boss, the black woman, steps very, very dangerously close to angry black woman stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the whole thing, I was like, you could have done a really good job with that yeah. and you didn't. I felt like that too. She could yeah. have had more screen time and been – because she had some really cool moments and really funny moments. I feel like that actress would be funny. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she seems yeah. like she's funny, but they didn't really give her the opportunity to be funny. Yeah. She was just a prop, basically, mm. which is incredibly problematic. Mm. Um, having said all that, there are good parts of the movie, too. Oh, 
Kristen Wiig and Brick. Yes. That I loved. I loved that. That's gorgeous. Um, I'm trying to find what her character name is because it's something really, oh, really odd. I have it I have it in front of me. Um Cheney. Cheney last now may. <laughs> what she's that's what she's credited as. I know it's but it's not pronounced Cheney. I remember oh. I have to see it. Otherwise I won't Charney, that's what Charney. she's called. Okay. Because it took me ages to figure out what they were saying. Oh Charney, yeah. I, I never quite worked it out. I, I actually didn't watch it with a view to podcasting about it, so I wasn't paying that close of attention. But those no, two they were, great. were funny. God, Kristen Wig was so, so funny in that role. She's basically like a female brick. Mm. But then watching those two interact <laughs> with their weird little bits and pieces and like you can tell that a lot of that was improvised but mm. that was hilarious that was great. um paul rudd was good i like paul rudd anyway i was kind of distracted by how amazing his hair was like it was <laughs> these beautiful black curls and every time i looked at him i was like oh it's so pretty but i thought he was funny yeah and he did this underwear model thing and like when yeah. he was taking the photos of the kittens and all that <laughs> stuff cracked me up yeah so yeah i i thought and then i like the uh I like the scenes, the the fight scenes, mm. especially in this one with them. I mean, they just every cameos. single person in the world cameos, but they also have some really, really odd things. Like, can we not talk about the fact that that's the ghost of whoever it was? You know, the the yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, some American historical figure. Can't remember which one. Yeah. Anyway, that's that was really, really funny, and um, and the way that they get all these other channels, and they're like, but this isn't even news, and it you know highlights the changes in the way that we watch the news mm. and that sort of stuff, but also all the cameos were kind of hilarious. Oh yeah, that was I. I really enjoyed that too with all those cameos. It's one of those things where I know that scene went on too long. But I know that's what their shtick is, is scenes that go on just a little too long. Yes. But also it's totally funny. Like yeah. when Sasha Baron Cohen is heading up the BBC news team. And, <laughs> and the Canadians. Um, the Canadians with Mar- 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 Marion Cotty- Cotillard. I don't want to spoil anybody who – I suppose we – we will be anyway. With the but blind the, thing. Yeah, I, yeah, see, that I don't care about. The cameos I cared about because mm. they surprised me, especially when Marion Cotillard shows up. And I'm like, is that Marion Cotillard? Really? Or Liam Neeson. Like, see, is- that didn't surprise me as much for some reason. I was like, he really would. And he's not credit- credited as Liam Neeson. Isn't he? He's credited as like Michael Neeson or something. It's really weird. I noticed when I watched it. Now, now I have to open up the full cast and credits. Um, but th- yeah, that. that all cracked me up. Brick cracked me up. Um, mm. There were a few things. Oh, I thought James Marsden was funny when he had to change his name to Jack Lame. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was Jack Lame, the big, you know, news guy and the new anchorman. And he loses a bet and he has to legally change his name to Jack Lame. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he just hates it so much. And it's so yeah. funny. Um, I also that like that eventually funny. he starts going by Jack LeMay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That stuff was gold. That was really, yeah. really funny. Well, and there was James Marsden else. is one of the we, – we love James Marsden. He's so underrated and he's such a good actor and he's so much fun. And he sings. How can people not like him? He sings and he dances and he's handsome and he's funny. He really played a Disney prince, you guys. He's like Hiddles if he were American. <laughs> yes, he is. He's like the American Hiddles. I don't know. I th- I really do think he's like – he. I know he used to have trouble getting roles because he was so sort of stereotypically handsome. Right. He's but he makes looking. that work for him mm. in roles like this one and in Hairspray and in Enchanted where he plays – plays up the fact that he's good looking and yeah. all that sort and of he's, thing. And that's why he plays those roles where he's always like second fiddle. Yes. To- and he's funny. Yeah, he's great. Um, also, I was very excited to see an Australian play in Australia. Oh, yes. That Thank was really you, nice. Thank you, Lord. Because- um, Josh great. Lawson. Yeah. Um, an Australian actor and comedian who got an opportunity to be an Australian in an American movie. Yay. Um, And there's this really, really funny bit 
to me when he shows up and he's speaking and nobody can understand him. And I was sitting there like, I know what I know what that feels like. Anyone who's Australian who's ever been in America, I can't deal with it. No one can understand me. I know. Yeah, that was, I thought that was really, really funny. Um, He doesn't get a lot to do because it's kind of overstuffed with people. But still, I thought that was neat and And it was kind of funny. uh, Rupert Murdoch parody. Yeah, I thought it was a Richard Branson parody. Oh, well, yeah. Actually, I wrote Rupert, Rupert Murdoch slash, slash Richard yeah, Branson. Yeah, well, because Rupert Cause Murdoch got... in Australian and also news media, but Richard Branson in the long blonde hair. And and, and that personality thing that well, he has yeah, going on. Well, yeah, and the swearing is very Australian, though. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was kind of a mix of those two. Yeah, okay. Um, mm-hmm. Like, because that, that sort of force of personality and him being young and him always off adventuring yeah, yeah, is very true. Richard Branson-esque, but then all the money and all that sort of stuff and mm-hmm. the, you know, manipulation and power yeah. and that's Rupert Murdoch. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was fun. I really liked that. Hmm. Sorry, I'm just looking at um, with talking about Charney and Brick yeah. um, and talking about how Charney can't figure out how phones work when she first comes in this, and she's just staring at a phone and Brick comes up and he's like, you should answer it. And she goes, sometimes I do, but then it rings again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, so I felt for her then. I I think the cat wants to get out. You need to make a decision, buddy. I totally felt for her there because when I first started out working, I was like a secretary slash executive assistant slash receptionist, whatever you want to call it. But part of my job was answering the phone. And I, to this day, hate phone calls and the phone. And that's exactly how it feels. Like sometimes I answer it, but then it just rings again. <laughs> and you can imagine she's on the, they put her in the front desk of like this brand new 24 hour news agency. Oh, there were a lot of people on uh, the desk though. And she seemed to be working. Like, uh. There was a point after the movie as well, where I was talking to the friend that I saw it with. And I was like, Brick never eats food in this movie. He never eats something that can be classified as food. He eats chalk. Butter. He eats checkers. He eats oh yeah, he eats butter, butter in the which post-credit is sequence. technically a food, I suppose. Yeah, but he never really eats like actual food. No. <laughs> but yeah, he and then the green pants thing when he's oh, um, he's the weatherman and they have the new green screen oh. and he's wearing green pants and so his pants turn invisible and he just can't figure Where are out my legs. <laughs> Yeah, Brick is the best. I mean, really, Steve Carell is obviously like, he, again, he's obviously, I mean, a lot of this movie is ad-libbed, mm-hmm. but in certain cases that works, especially when they all know the characters so well. Mm-hmm. And like the crispy fried bat stuff <laughs> was just so weird and so funny. And then the bat comes flying out of the back and ugh, and Ooh. stuff like that that just like, when they did that stuff... Yeah. They did let the scenes go on slightly too long, but that's when some of the best comedy happens. But right. it also means that some of the worst stuff happens well, I then. Think that, I think as a process, it's actually really good to let them keep going on and keep filming and keep yeah. in character. I think that's an excellent process. And obviously some of the best stuff they had is has come at like the end of a really long take. But there's this saying in writing, and also it's a movie we reviewed a few months ago, kill your darlings. <laughs> And that means that sometimes, even though something is complete comedy gold and totally awesome – the art of editing is to say we're going to use this bit like this bit of gold is great but it's not working for the, it's not serving the larger story so we cut it out and put it in the blooper reel yeah that's one of Joss Whedon's things too yeah. is for writing is that um if you're stuck then you have to go back and delete your favorite scene mm-hmm. take your yep. favorite scene out well and and um it, but it it's really true. I find it when I edit this podcast. Yeah, and well, the, I th- I think the problem actually wasn't in the ad lib stuff for the most part. No, it was no. in the stuff that was actually written for the film. Mm-hmm. Like it was a problem in the plot, and also doing like they they do um most of the women no favors. 
apart from Kristen Wiig, who is, you know, obviously quite capable of doing all of this sort of thing, mm. they do um, – Poor old Christina Applegate. Who oh, is, thank you. She's a great comedic actress. Why can't I remember her name? Hmm. Every single time I'm like Apple something. Applegate. She's really um, good here and she was really good in the first one. She's a great comedic actress, but there's one of her and she does – but the and, other and thing she has is to she be the butt of she's got to be the straight man and the yeah. butt of a lot of stuff. So yeah, and she doesn't get to like she yeah she has to be the straight man, but she also has to be the one who uh, she has to be the sort of moral compass of the movie mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and yes. that doesn't really work with being funny. No, um, unfortunately, so she could do a lot better. Um, even her her new boyfriend, who is played by oh somebody Greg Kinnear, that, yeah, that's him, gets more funny things to do than her. And Linda Jackson, uh, again, uh, Linda Jackson's the character name. Megan Good, oh. who was the black right. female boss. Yes. She, I got the feeling that she was funny. Yeah. But she wasn't funny in any of it. Like the very first introduction scene, that was her best scene. Mm-hmm. And and this, oh, there was this moment after the dinner especially that made me cringe and made me really angry, which is where they're talking about the dinner and how it went badly. Mm. And he goes, well, it's your fault for inviting me. And then she goes, I know, sorry, it's just that I'm stressed about something unrelated. And I'm like, no. No, it's no. your fault for behaving unprofessionally in your workplace, idiot. No, 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 the, the scene with the dinner with all her family. Oh, right, with the family. Yeah. Oh, right, yes, he, right. Where he's a racist jerk. Yeah. She ends up apologising to him for. It that's just comes back to the problems this one had of just trying to throw too much in there. Mm. And not really sort of being clear about where it was going. It got distracted by shiny, funny little distractions that weren't weren't working for them. I feel like they almost just sort of went, we have these little ideas that we think will be funny. Mm. Like the drunken sea world, Ron Burgundy's drunken sea world thing, which had Eliza Coop in it, which made me really happy. Mm, Which is great. Happy endings. Yeah. And the bit with... um, like, you know, when they're in the apartment and they have the big pictures of themselves on the walls mm. and they do a little gag in there. I, th- I feel like they had these, and then the 24-hour news thing, right. they had these like little snippets of this would be really cool, mm. but they didn't actually have a story. Mm. And they made that, put, built the story around the scenes rather than mm. having a story and putting in scenes that supported that. Mm. Does that yeah, make sense? So, yeah, no. I, I, th- I feel a, like it was in the writing process. Could have done with a good edit, but it was really funny. So then, I feel like I, I said more negative things. I actually enjoyed the movie. No. I, I, uh, I gave it three stars. Yeah, and I would give it three as well. It's a solid funny flick. Yeah. But the other thing is these guys are really, like, they're the best around at the moment at this kind of comedy where they yep. know their characters inside and out and then they just do sketches based on them. You, you know, I think it's because it's most of them are sketch comedians, yeah. Saturday Night Live background. And there's not a lot of comedies that are being made now that are those kinds of comedies. When this came out, it was this and Zoolander and I feel like there were other ones yeah, that I can't remember now. Yeah, there were a whole bunch of now. SNL alums doing movies, which was a thing from about 1990 to about 2005. It just yeah. it seems to have dropped off a lot now, but... And they're, they're fun because the thing is that a lot of comedies now were just bad all the way through, <laughs> whereas <laughs> at least these you're going to get to know that you are going to laugh a lot of the time. Right. You're getting a good a good deal out of it. So I might move on to the movie number two, though, which is American Hustle. You Have you got a little plot summary there for that one? Yes, I do. A small-time con man in New Jersey gets busted by the feds and finds himself caught up in an escalating plan to entrap crooked politicians and a mobster. It also comes with a disclaimer at the beginning that some of this actually happened. Yeah, I liked that disclaimer, actually. Yeah, Some good. of this happened. That was a pretty good uh, disclaimer. And, and for... uh, re- reading up afterwards, 
some of it did happen in a different state with different people with different names. So- I mean, it's not it's not exactly a documentary. It's just it's a fictionalization of some real stuff, which is very popular at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's directed by David O. Russell. Yes, starring is- a bunch of his favorites like Bradley Cooper and Christian Bale and Jennifer Lawrence. And Amy Adams. Mm-hmm. Christian Bale and Amy Adams were in his movie The Fighter. And Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper were in Silver Linings Playbook, of course. Yeah. And they're going to reunite again next year. So apparently they seem to they be like a good each team. Other. And yeah, and so the main the main cast though, which is Amy Adams and Christian Bale and Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper and Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. I saw a picture of them at a festival, and my first thought was, "Oh my god, what co- what comic book movie is being made with those guys?" <laughs> I thought it was like the best crossover ever. Not the case. They're making Ameri- this was for, it was for American Hustle. I quite like this one. My first thought, and it seems a lot of other people's, was Goodfellas. Uh, yeah, this is David O. Russell trying to do Martin Scorsese. Mm. It's been written like everywhere. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah, Goodfellas and Casino. This owes a huge debt to those particular films. Okay, here are the things that I liked best about American Hustle: mm. Jennifer Lawrence, yeah, because she is my favorite, absolutely my favorite, and I thought she was brilliant. Yeah, Amy Adams, yep, the seventies aesthetic, mm-hmm. which went from the opening, like the the comp- uh, no uh, the studio names were in 70s style right through to the closing credits. Yep. It did not let up the whole time. Committed. So it really, yeah, committed and it, that was, I thought that was terrific. It, most of the acting was good, but I thought the two girls were the best out of the cast. Mm. And I liked the middle. Mm. I didn't really like the beginning and the end. I didn't really like Christian Bale. And I thought some of the time it sort of... <laughs> It was too pleased with itself in a lot of ways. Oh, I'm sorry. I, the people can't hear me waving my arms about, <laughs> but yes, that's where I want to start, which is it's not quite as clever as it thinks it is. Yeah. It's great fun and I really enjoyed it. I thought I actually liked Christian Bale and I thought he was really good uh, and, and all, of the car, all of the main cast I thought were great. And there's a great sort of small role with Louis C.K. Yeah. He was great too, like really good. Um, I love that we didn't get to hear the end of the ice fishing story. Yeah. We never heard. And that was a really neat Scorsese-esque touch yeah. where they had um, – because Bradley – Louis C.K. is Bradley Cooper's boss in the FBI and Bradley Cooper keeps he, – he's going to tell Bradley Cooper this ice fishing story and Bradley Cooper keeps coming back to him asking about it but he just – because of his character traits, he's very impatient and brash and all that sort of thing he, and arrogant, he never listens to the end of the story. He just says what he thinks the moral of the story is. And then Louis C.K. goes, no, that's not what the story is about. And they do it about three times. And you never hear the end of that story. I think what I was trying to say earlier when I said it's not as clever as it thinks it is, I find the message of the whole thing very heavy-handed. The whole everyone's everyone's conning everyone, especially themselves, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter which side. You might be on the right side of the law, but you're still the worst person in the room or whatever. That was I thought that was a little heavy-handed. Yeah, and, was- and then also it's a lot lighter than Goodfellas. There's never, you never really feel like there's a real threat here. No, nobody – yeah, not even when they bring in this uh, great little cameo, like this big mafia boss guy, and you're like mm. – mm. Even then, I don't feel like there's ever going to be an actual body count, which in in Goodfellas is obviously omnipresent. But that said, I feel like everyone's really good and it uses its makeup and its costumes really well to show where people are at. Like Amy Adams, 
you can tell what's going on with her by the state of her hair and makeup. Mm. And that's part of her character too, because her character is like a suburban American girl pretending to be an English aristocrat. Mm. And so she does that quite quite the way through the movie. And she's deceiving most people a lot of the time in, that she comes across. And so when she's in costume in that character, when she they've got her in the uh, Diane von Furstenberg dresses and the Holston and the... She wears these tops to slip down to her waist. So much boob. <laughs> so much Amy Adams boob. So, so they dress her in these designer clothes and she's got the makeup on. But then when she's having real genuine moments of being back to being Sydney again, as opposed to Edith, the British lady, she's you, you see her in hair in rollers. You see her, the makeup comes off. You see her, her, she's partly made up. She's at the end of the day and it's coming off and she's falling apart. I thought it was really well used and well put together. Yeah, she's just like flawless in this movie i mean she is just so clever in the way that she acts Mm. like she's cleverer than the movie is i think and the other and of course jennifer lawrence plays christian bale's character irving rosenfeld's wife Mm -hmm. so irving rosenfeld is the con man and he falls in love with amy adams and he knows that with Sydney. sydney so he knows who sydney is um, and together they do this small con where they just take $5,000 from a whole lot of different people. Mm-hmm. And then that's sort of his ideal life. And he has to go back home to his wife, which is Jennifer Lawrence. And she has a son that he's adopted. Mm-hmm. And then she is this sort of magnificently self-deluded passive aggressive woman who like, and, and they talk about in the movie how everybody's just trying to stay alive and stuff. I feel like she gets the brunt of everybody's hatred in spite of the fact that she's no worse than anybody else in the movie is. She's just a bit dumber, really. Right. She's um, a but stereotype. She's still- so she's not a stereotype. She's It's because she looks like the kind of stereotype of a, basically a mob wife. She's home all the time. She doesn't have a – like she doesn't work. She doesn't really take care of her kid properly either. She's all about no. doing her nails and doing her hair, all that kind of stuff. So she's this kind of real housewives of New Jersey kind of look. And I believe that's how – that's was – part of Jennifer Lawrence's preparation for the character was watching a lot of Real Housewives of New Jersey but to get the accent and the look right. So she's – she's yeah, the only thing she's done wrong is to be female and to adhere to certain stereotypes in the way she looks and dresses and acts. Yeah, she's not very good to her kitty. I mean, she's, no, not, she's not. But then, like, most but of the people in this dad. movie – Well, the whole point of his – of Christian Bale, um, Irving Rosenfeld, who isn't – who's his – Stepdad. Adoptive father, yes, yeah, stepdad, um, is that he's trying to do everything. Like he won't run away because he doesn't yeah. want to leave the kid with her. So that's his sort of moral center. Yeah, well, um, he, but the thing is that she, the, all the other people in the movie, right? So Jeremy Renner is this really, really sweet mayor who adores his family, including his wife played by Elizabeth Rome, who I really dislike. Mm. Um, but he he's love he's this lovely person who's a corrupt politician who is taking bribes and and you know trying to get money so that he can open a casino to help the town that he's from uh, right he wants to he basically wants to build atlantic city yeah because um he thinks it'll be good for the local economy and so the whole point which is this message that is is repeated over and over again about good and bad not necessarily being necessarily meaning law abiding so he's a good he's a good guy who wants to? Who's not averse to doing a little bit illegal yeah. to make to, for the greater good? And Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper is just plain evil. Uh, he. I don't think he is. I, th- I don't no, think he's evil. He's, I think he's more. 
it's almost worse than that because he isn't evil. I think that's his biggest problem. He's quite scary because he's violent. And there's this moment that borders on, you know, moving towards rape of Amy Amy Adams' character. So he's really scary. And and he assaults um, Louis C.K. quite badly. Um, he's he's the scariest of them all. So these the two who are a bit criminal, like this Italian mayor and the you know, Jewish con man, are much less criminal than him. Right. Yeah. And then but, Amy Adams is sort of somewhere in the middle. But the other yeah. thing that got me about that, mm. right, is at the end of the movie with mm. the happy ending, then you mm. see Amy Adams and the kid hanging out. Yep. And I'm like, we don't know that she's going to be any better for this kid than Jennifer Lawrence is. There's mm. been no support of that. All like from what we know of her, mm. we've never seen her with children. We've never seen her be responsible. Like her whole thing has basically just been running away and being smart, the smartest person in the room because she's smarter ultimately than Irving is. She's smarter than Bradley Cooper is. She's mm. smarter than every single other person because she basically ends up conning everybody. Yep. Um, she comes up with, like, and then Irving's, she and Irving come up with the cons together, but she's the one who sort of thinks is her way out yeah. of all these different situations. You no, know, I see where you're coming from. I I could probably support it by saying something like, we know that she's the smartest person in the room, but she's also the one who makes some of the worst decisions when it comes to relationships. Yeah. So I could, for her, it would not be an unusual reading of her character to say that no matter what's going on, she is far too attached to Irving to do anything other than develop a close relationship with his son. But it, it, no, it's not something that comes up. And in fact, there's no evidence at all to support anything like that. She doesn't seem to care about the kid at all. No, I mean, she wants to leave driving him. force. It seemed like the only sort of reason that they got a happy ending is because they were supposed to have a happy ending. It seemed a little bit awkward to me, which is why I didn't mm. like the end. The whole end, I think, just kind of ran out of steam. Do you know what I mean? Like they they built it up too much and then by the time it got there, it was kind of run out of steam from all of the energy that was going on before because it's all, you know, swish panning cameras and, and, you know, you know, the, the, what is it? The zoom pan thing that they do all the time where they come in on the characters' faces and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's such this kind of manic frantic energy that I felt like it kind of ran out of it and it took a while to build up. I thought the beginning was a bit sort of lackluster. Mm. It took a while for me to get into it. When I was into it, I thought it was great, mm. and particularly that it looked great. And then, yeah, I didn't. See, I really... think I liked it from the beginning because I was. I always love a bit of backstage, so I loved that we start with Christian Bale putting his armor on because that's such a scene that would typically be of a woman, and particularly in a film like this with these two gorgeous women in the lead who wear these revealing outfits, inst- putting on their makeup. Instead of getting that, we get. Christian Bale putting on his his armor, and mm. I think that I thought that was really interesting. That had me sucked in. I was like, oh yeah, that that's interesting. That's all the work that goes into building this persona. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I didn't I mind that, that bit so much. It was after that, the scene that happens after that yeah. without context, because you don't know who any of the people are. Right? Didn't really. I wasn't really interested then. Uh, see, I love that bit of that form. I'm a bit of a Scorsese fan, so that kind of storytelling where you go in, you see something and you don't know what it's been and then they go back and explain it to you, I'm always happy if, to have if, one of those. Yeah, if it had built up a little bit about, I don't know, it just felt a little like stilted and it, like it was trying to be Scorsese but wasn't Scorsese is what it no, felt like at it the wasn't. Very, very first it, scene. It, it wasn't as clever as it thought it was, but it was, I think, lifted from being 
it's it's not a bad movie because it's lifted by these performances. Yeah, the performances yeah. are really, I mean, really save it. Really if it good. hadn't had these actors in it, it would just be a pretty piece of nothing. Mm. Just getting to watch them interact is brilliant. Mm. And the way that they interact and they it goes so far into all these, these relationships. But I think what the movie doesn't have is like a heart, mm. a, you know, a that that thing that you can latch onto that connection. See, you that's because you didn't like Christian Bale. Because I liked Christian Bale, I thought he was the heart. See, He's yeah, the... that's the thing. I never connected to him at all. Mm. I was just like ah, every time that he. I mean, because. <laughs> They're building him up to be this good guy, and all I could mm. see was all the bad things he's doing. You know, like he didn't have to steal five thousand dollars from all those people for survival. He was stealing from people who needed the money. Mm. Um, that wasn't like a. I mean, he was not a nice guy. No, you know what I mean. I know. I I see where you're coming from. I just I feel like I wasn't so bothered by that as I was by someone like Bradley Cooper, who's a big bully who just wants yeah, to throw his weight worse. around. And also that kind of the bureaucracy and the law is kind of the enemy in this. It's a very much a movie where you're on the side of not quite legal things. So, I, I yeah, I didn't feel so I, – I don't know. It didn't upset me quite so much. I think if they would had gone for him really being – they tried to make him moral yeah. when he had done all of these bad things and he never made up for those bad things or anything like that. And so I think that was maybe uh, – that didn't really work for me if that makes sense. He started out in a good place. Now he's just taking money from, you know, ordinary people who need it. And then he was- And then he gets busted by Bradley Cooper and gets in over his head. But there's no point at which he's ever punished for anything that he did. There's no and there's no sort of redemption moment when he realizes that what he did was wrong. He gets out of it because he has to. Hmm. So that that's sort of like for me that's then he's not the heart of the movie. He's not the moral center of the movie. If that's what he's doing. Well, see, there. I feel like he did have a moment where he realized what he was doing was wrong and he needed to get out of it. He does have a moment, and I'm trying to remember when it was because I can't exactly remember off the top of my head. Maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention. I, I sort yeah, of once Jennifer Lawrence was introduced, whenever she wasn't on screen, I was like, oh, "This is still well, okay." It's when he's. It's got to do with him and Jeremy Renner's character, and, and because he genuinely mm. makes friends with that family, that's right. he has this moment, and it, it's really quite funny because there's a moment where they're at a bar singing Tom Jones and he he goes Welsh for like a second and I'm like, that's right, Christian Bale is Welsh. But uh, And I think it's, it's got the to my, do- my, my Delilah scene, Yeah, Delilah, right? yeah. So I, I think he, he does have that moment when he's with that family and it's possibly when they're they – he goes to lunch there or something, I think. Anyway, it's it's got to do with Jeremy Renner's character. and He goes that- to apologize and try to get him out of it, but that's after. That's after. No, before that, he, do- he does have a moment. He has that oh shit moment where he realizes that it's not just about him, but this guy and his six kids and his wife mm. that he's now friends with. I think yeah, that's... and he gets the worst of it, really. Mm. In yeah, the he end really of it. does. I mean, Bradley Cooper sort of does too. But that's what I mean. Like, he just didn't deserve. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. It no, just, he didn't deserve it. it. And there really was that strike horrible, me as. Like, uh, sort of the, the racist undertone of that mid century view of Italian immigrants as mm. well. There wasn't sincerity in there. I just, I never got into it. Like, I never. Mm. I was much more interested in the in the female characters than Irving. I think maybe if it had been about Sydney, I might have cared more, mm. but it wasn't. And I don't know. It, oh, okay. yeah. So yeah. I never connected with Irving, which is clearly my problem for the movie. Yeah, I think you have to, otherwise it's not it's not going to work. I think we probably need to move on to the next movie, though. So what do you have a rating for it? Um, yes, I do. I gave it three and a half stars. I will give it four. 
Richie DeMasso is Bradley Cooper's character's name. I've been mm-hmm. looking through this whole thing for ages trying to figure it out. Yeah. It just doesn't suit him at He's all. He's Italian too. Yeah. Yeah. And he has the the little curls, the little... They're, they're a perm. The yeah, perm, the, the that's perm. right. The perm, which know. cracked me off. Well, and that was kind of... That's why I said impotent about his character before, because I was he lives at home with his mom, he curls his hair, he's... He's like the epitome of machismo, bravado, and front. And that's yeah. probably why he's so angry. Yeah. Because he's not what he wants to be. Um. So, yes, on to the next movie. Which is, which the, is Hobbit. the Hobbit. The Desolation of Smaug, directed by Peter Jackson, of course. Mm-hmm. Although, uh, actually, no, give a plot summary first and then I'll start right. talking. Bill. It just adjusted to Bilbo, a different place on the, sh- on the screen. Bilbo Baggins. Greatest little hobbit of them all. Um, Bilbo continues to travel to the lonely mountain with the company of dwarves and Gandalf, encountering pretty elves, dirty men, and one big-ass dragon. <laughs> dirty men. <laughs> I like that. Um, so what I was going to say is that it's directed by Peter Jackson. This could be a completely different director from the Lord of the Rings movies as far as I can, I'm concerned. The visual style is so different from that first series. This one, he's like, he seems to have, gotten obsessed with handheld and by the looks of it GoPro cameras and this one's so different in style okay um mostly I noticed is what I noticed in it is Mm. the colors Mm. like just bright colors and I don't like the high frame rate and I don't like 3d but I got to see this one on practically an IMAX screen Mm. um Mm, me too I was on a big screen Like, the first one I didn't think was very pretty, and this one I liked a lot better. Um, I just generally really enjoyed this movie in spite of the... Like, it's not as good as the Lord of the Rings movies. No, I love But it's this. leaps and bounds ahead of the last yes, Hobbit. Yes, it's so much better than the first Hobbit, and I loved it. Yeah. And even with the high frame rate and 3D, I thought they did some really cool stuff. There's a bit with a bee very early on when they're mm. staying at the some monster's house. Beorn's house. On, there He's go. the shapeshifter who turns yeah, into yeah. a bear. That guy. Anyway, they, and they do this thing with a bee, and that's how Bilbo wakes up. That was amazing use of 3D. Yeah. I thought that was really good. Um, yeah, it does look better. But also I think the first one, I just – after they left basically Hobbiton, mm. from that point on, there was nothing in it that really interested me. Mm-hmm. And this one had elves and men and the dragon, and all of those things are so great mm. – that I and I think it has to make up for the fact that the dwarves aren't that interesting. Yeah, like they could be really interesting because they lost their home, right? Mm. So you you could have more yeah, going for them there. But um, I, I feel like Peter Jackson and everybody in Lord of the Rings is not as interested in dwarves as they are in everybody else. Yeah, and well, because essentially, um, Ramitage dwarf. What's his name? Thorin. Thorin. Thorin's story. He's he's the Aragorn of the movie. He's a, he's the king in exile. Who's yeah. lost his kingdom, right? And he's also kind of a jerk. Yeah, not not the point. But yeah, he could be interesting. But the thing is, though, in this one, the action and the threat is always there. So there's mm. always a threat of danger, which is the important part of these journeys. And there's and the action keeps on going. The barrel scene and the battle that follows with the elves at, when they escaping from wherever they're escaping from in the barrels mm. is possibly the best fight sequence I've ever seen. It yeah. is so well done. Yeah. The, people keep complaining that they just got away in the book, and I'm like, yeah, but that's boring. It's yeah. So, I don't mind the changes no, that they do because it was much more interesting. So th- that scene is well, – well, they're escaping from Elf Town, wherever it is. Elrond's um, dad. Mirkwood. Mirkwood. That's a cool. That's the one. Yeah, Legolas's dad's place. So, that, yeah, that is amazing. And then, of course, Tariel and Legolas are, you know, defending them and stuff. That 
one of the best fight scenes I've ever seen. The that bow and arrow stuff and Evangeline Lilly and Orlando Bloom, amazing. Yeah. Let's talk about the elves for a minute. Because, oh, Toriel, my God. Toriel and, and Thranduil, who was played by Lee Pace, who is also a personal favourite. I love both of those actors, right, mm. from their TV shows, Pushing Daisies and Lost. And Lee Pace has been, been in a few other things. And he was so great as Thranduil, who's the king of Mirkwood. And and so yeah, perfect there's this whole – like the most interesting stuff – is in these ideas of Thrandua wants to just close his doors against the evil that's going on around it. So he's just tightening the strings and tightening the strings on Mirkwood, right? Mm. And Toriel, Toriel is like, no, we can't do that. We have to try and help people because eventually, um, otherwise the evil will just keep coming back and it'll take yeah. over us as well anyway. Uh-huh. Um, and she's a great character and oh. such a good addition. I'm so glad they added her. She's fantastic. So well done. And Evangeline Lilly is so great as well. Yeah. And such a, a strong defender of her character. Such a, like, in, inside and outside of the movie. Just amazing. I love her. Yeah. And she so was definitely, like, the screen sort of lights up when she's there and she helps the movie mm. immensely. And it's nice to see Legolas again. Yeah. Um, just Lee Pace's Thranduil kills me. Well, I loved him. Legolas, he was so great. So little, sassy. Yeah, so sassy. But and Legolas is, has an important journey, of course, of breaking away from his father and doing mm-hmm. the right thing. And and that's of what leads him in to being the Legolas of the next lot of movies. Yeah. Where he is outside of him, steps outside of his own world and does his own thing and helps the others. And it's an interesting sort of recurring theme throughout The Lord of the Rings and um, The Hobbit as well of that, even if you can keep evil away from your doors, eventually it will find its way in. Yeah, unless you go and unless confront you it go and, out and confront it and join with other people and help them yeah, out. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not just somebody else's problem. It's a, you need to actually take a step and deal with it. And I think yeah, that's always a good message. Yeah, and there's also that elves and dwarves sort of thing that mm. is explored here, which mm. is always fun. Yeah, to watch a, a super cute moment where who's the ugly little bugger in your. F- that's my son Gimli. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, there's oh. there's some really sort of funny, interesting stuff. There's an interesting scene between Thorin and Thranduil where Thorin can't let go of his um, hatred of elves. Yeah. Um, but it also shows up the immortality of elves, mm. and when they have to face their own mortality, they go cray. Like Thranduil goes because we find out that he was burned by Smaug, um, yeah. which is a great, great moment. God, I love Lee Pace. Um, and then, so we find out that, and then that's what sort of set him off on this whole obsession mm. of like, you know, trying to keep everybody safe and that sort of thing is that he faced his own mortality and it freaked him out. And he's so obsessed with like keeping up his appearance. So mm. he obviously has some magic to stop everybody from being able to see what happened to him. And then there's a bit where Legolas gets punched mm. and he actually bleeds and he's like, what the f*** is this? <laughs> like, what, what is this? You made me bleed my own blood. <laughs> so funny. Don't ruin the pretty. Um, yeah. But that's the thing is that, mm. like, don't ruin the pretty. They actually do value their beauty that mm. much. Like, it, they're just sort of – and it's – I love actually looking at the – races of middle earth that's what we go there for right mm. like the world the world exactly and i've said it before and i'll say it again no matter how bad these movies get i would rather spend three hours in middle earth than pretty well much anywhere else right yep and so and this one did such a good job of showing us middle earth mm. um and then we get to lake town yeah and that's great too what's the boat driver's name again? Bard the bowman yes bard I keep forgetting his name like luke evans luke evans because he's because <laughs> i was 
two weeks ago I would scroll through Tumblr and I'm like, who's this Luke Evans guy? And now I've seen The <laughs> Hobbit. I'm like, Luke Evans! Yes. It's on my Tumblr. Yeah, Lord of, all of the Lord of the Rings movies are really good for that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we meet Bard the Bowman who helps save their lives as they after they've escaped from Mirkwood and brings them into this town at great danger to himself and his family. And, and Bard is like this leader of a kind of underground resistance in Lake Town against mm. the Master, which eventually pits him against the the dwarves as well. Yeah. But he's such a good character. Like he's just, I mean, he's so sexy. <laughs> yeah. He's so, you know, he's the guy who uh, who is trying to help everybody and he has this family to look after and he's so torn and so dreamy. <laughs> and they put him <laughs> in jail and he's like, I'm trying to save the town. Anyway, he's great. And I do think it's interesting to see the dwarves, like it's interesting that our protagonists are in direct opposition to other good guys. Mm. Thranduil isn't maybe so much a good guy. No. But he is trying to protect his people, yeah, so he's and, not really a bad guy either. And, and, and Bard is definitely a good guy. Mm-hmm. And so their sort of obsession well, with getting back. So Thranduil and the Master are both authority. They're the law, they're the yeah. government of their particular towns. Yeah. And Thranduil is definitely more sympathetic than the mm-hmm. master, who's yep. just a jerk. Also, did you notice there were black people in Lake Town? Freaked me out. I think they're the first black people ever to be in Lord of the Rings without makeup on. You know, I, I didn't actually notice because I just was like, oh, yeah, crowd people live there. No, yeah, I noticed because I was like, oh, my God, black people in Lake Town. That's, I didn't know there were black people well, that, in Middler. That's a step forward. It is a step forward. And there were, um, yeah. um, give me a second. Oh, it's gone. Native Kiwis. Oh, Maori. Maori. They were Maori. People. Oh, Maori who weren't orcs. Yes, there were Maori in the crowd as well. Who weren't orcs. Um, not that any of the main characters, all of them were still white. No. But, you know, it's a step hey, forward. Hey, but still, it's a cra- the crowd scene stuff is important. There's that whole, you, 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 I'm sure I've talked about this before, if not on this podcast, on another one, the Gina Davis research about 17% in any crowd, given crowd scene as, is women and every, everyone else yep. is men, white men. Yeah. So that stuff, that kind of stuff matters that there are people in the crowd who have different race and different background. And it especially matters because there were overtones with the orcs who were generally played by big, burly Kiwi Islander types. Yeah. In the first one, there's there are, there are problems with that. And yeah. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Not that that's not still happening because mm. the Manu Bennett. Yep. Oh, who, uh, our friend is, from Arrow. <laughs> yes, we like Arrow. And so Manu Bennett plays the hand, hook-handed, pale Athok, Asok, something like that, is that the, the Destroyer. Oh, no, Athok the Destroyer, okay. He's the, he's the main lead orc that's always after them. He's very what, pale white mm. one mm-hmm. with a, in the movie before Thor and cut his hand off, so he's got yep, this yep. like, yeah. So he's um, he's Manu Bennett. So they still have that going on all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's with still the going on, but it's not um, the only thing that's going no. on for Maori actors. Yeah, yeah, which is good. And then they get to Smaug. <gasps> oh my god, the reveal of that dragon that on is... that big screen with that three D and the wow! That's such a beautiful dragon. Oh my god, that dragon! And there, I cannot think of anybody better to do the voice than Benedict Cumberbatch. Well, no, and we were rewatching Sherlock recently, and there's a bit in the Reichenbach fall. Yeah, I think it's. It's where he's with Jen from the IT crowd and Moriarty in her flat. He shouts up the stairs and I'm like, that's why they made him the dragon. (laughs) He does this roar and I'm like, oh, perfect, perfect. And once again, like one of the best scenes in the whole movie is Bilbo talking to a creature. Mm. Um, But 
God, they're good, both of them. Like the, oh. in the first one, that's right. In the first one, it was only Hobbiton and then the conversation between Bilbo and Gollum. Which was um, great as well. Riddles it was one of the, the best dark. bits of the first. Yeah. Mm. And then in this one, you've got Bilbo talking to Smaug mm. and trying to t- convince him. And then, you know, that whole bit is just so much fun. Mm. And so, and Smaug is so interesting. Yeah. Like he's evil. <laughs> But he's so interesting. Yeah, but then so are the dwarves who spent their whole lives collecting gold yeah. and sitting on top of it and letting nobody else in, doing nothing except protecting their own little patch. And what happened to them? They lost their patch. Yes. And then – but this is like – that was the fault of their fathers. Oh, no, and I know. So it's not the fault of this lot of dwarves, but it is – But a lot of people still blame lesson. these guys for what happened before. Um, You see that in Lake Town and stuff like yeah. that. They are still blaming – Dwarves in general. So dwarves get a really bad rap. And it mm. would be interesting, I think, in the next one if they will really put us in the shoes of the dwarves more because it feels like most of the dwarves are just comic relief and Thorin's got a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Right. Like it's not just about um, how other people see him as opposed mm. to how he sees himself. It's also about him becoming corrupted and being greedy and like he's just a whole mess of different sort of ideas or caught up in this Thorin. Right, and, and and that's the thing. Like, it's not necessarily Thorin's fault, but Thorin agrees with the idea of guarding the treasure and yeah. keeping the the empire, building the empire in that way. And that, yeah, and that's not the way to do things and to which Thranduil will find out to his discredit later on, I assume. But that, the reveal of that dragon, and they do it absolutely how you, how you should do it. You don't get to it till the last act of the movie. And we have a whole lot of scenes where we can see bits of the dragon, the dragon's face or a bit of its mm. tail. We can see things, we can see the effects of the dragon, things moving, things burning, things going wrong. And finally, it sweeps back out into this wide shot where the whole, where it stretches its wings and it's just, and breathes fire. And it's amazing. amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Can I just ask something? It's made, it's a dragon that's made of these really, really like impenetrable scales yep. that breathes fire. Why on earth would you then try and cover it in mel- molten gold in order to hurt it? Like, that's not going to work. Who would think that would work? That was the dumbest plan I've ever heard of. What else are they going to do? I don't know, but, like, that is a terrible plan. Their best plan is just to get out of there. Mm. Right? Like, there's no sort of... It is, but they're still under that Thorin. It's Thorin and the um old guy with the white beard. I can't remember his name. Ba- Bofa. Bofa? No. Uh, Bofa is the Bale. one of the big guys. It's Dwellin and Balin are the older guys. Bale. So one of them's the doctor mm. who goes back and I think he's the doctor who stays with Philly and Killy. Mm. And then because Killy's gotten anyway, injured by a mor- morgul blade. Yeah. Oh, I need that. Um, what I need is that Tumblr thing that explains who all the dwarves are. <laughs> Anyone I can remember right now is Jimmy Nesbit dwarf, and that's not what I'm looking for. No. But anyway, old white beard. So old white beard, old white is beard, and Thorin Dwalin, I think. Du- yeah, okay, Dwalin. I'll take it as Dwalin. That seems about right. So he and Thorin lead the ex- expedition up to the mountain, and he's the one who leads uh, Bilbo down into where the dragon is and shows. But him he's also the moral. He is the moral yeah. compass of the dwarves, but it's obvious that he see he is the only one among them who can remember. Mm. what it was like to be there. So he has a lot of the same baggage that Thorin has, that this is their birthright, this is what the dwarves deserve, that this is theirs to own and protect, and this is their kingdom. So he still has that kind of baggage with him. Mm. Yeah, but he's also the guy who keeps Thorin 
He keeps Thorin grounded. grounded. He help, yeah. helps a lot. He in, and he saves Bilbo when Thorin would be like, "No, just leave him." Screw and, him. Yeah, and that's the thing. Thorin also like proved that he's going to do that by leaving Killy behind mm. in Lake Town yeah. as well, which was kind of a jerk move. And then Philly stays with his brother because they're so adorable. Mm, Jimmy Nesbitt dwarf's <laughs> um, been out drinking, so yeah, he stays so he behind as and well. saves everybody. Yeah. yeah. So that stuff is, is you know, that's changes from the book and they're fine. And I of don't... course Toriel has to sweep in and save them. He save him. Yes. Mm. So, yeah, that's all great. That's all fun. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it, it's an interesting – I mean, Thorin has so much going on that you need – I think it would be interesting to look at the other dwarves and finally give some of them some character, for God's sake. Yeah. And um, I know because there's like there's Thorin and there's well you can tell from Jimmy Nesbit dwarf, old guy dwarf, hot dwarf, which is axe Philly. wound. Yeah, axe wound. Yeah, hot dwarf, hot dwarf. No, twin. Killy is Killy is hot dwarf. Killy, Philly is Killy and Philly, <laughs> hot dwarf, hot dwarf's twin, and they're they're um they're Thorin's nephews, which makes the, yes leaving him behind in Lake Town to die. Even more of a dick move. Yeah. So it's – and then there's Bofa, Bomber, and Biffa. Mm. I don't know which ones of those are which. Bomber is the big fat one. Because Gimli, son of Gloin. And Oin is – Oin. Oin and Gloin. So hang on. There's th- 12 of them, right? Yeah. So you've got Thorin, Biffa, Bomber, Bofa, Dwayne, Balin, Philly, Killy. So. Oin and Gloin. Mm-hmm. I'm missing two. So, all right. From the IMDb page. Thorin, Balin, Dwell, and Bifer, Bofa, Bomba, Feely, Keely, Oin, Gloin, Nori, Dori, Ori. Oh, that's right. Thirteen dwarves. Yeah, oh, Nori, Dori, and Ori are the um, – one of them is the little one. Mm. And I think one of them might be Jimmy Nesbitt. Jimmy Nesbitt is Bofa. Ah. Oh. See, I don't even know who they are. Mm. They've got to – this is the second movie. And we, we don't should know, know who they, they are. are. Like, really, they've got to establish that because this is getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We know who all of the other characters are except for our main freaking group. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really silly. I forgot. We, Gandalf has his own thing going on. As always, Gandalf abandons them in their moment of need and goes off to hang out with the Seventh Doctor. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. That's pretty much what well, he does. Well, the thing is, he always abandons people in their moment of need because there's a bigger need somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like, this is – Gandalf has to basically um, balance Gandalf's all of the needs of the – putting out fires everywhere. Yeah. He yeah. has to balance all of the needs of the whole place. Plus, there's this little bit where he goes, you think I should abandon my friends, and then he does it in order to – because there's mm-hmm. a bigger need. Right. But that's something that he doesn't then do in Lord of the Rings. I think there's a little hint that later on – he, will he keeps coming back he needs because to know that. he realizes. I think probably yeah. he's going to come back in the next movie and discover what happened with Smaug and been like, "Oh shit, should have been there." Yeah, <laughs> when right. I was over there. Exactly. Um, because what he's off doing is dealing with something that is he's dealing with the emergence of the fell beasts. The what's they, what are they called? Not the fell the fell beasts. The Nazgul. Nazgul. He's dealing with the emergence of the Nazgul yeah. and Saruman. So it is actually not very Saruman. Important. Sorry, Sauron. Sauron. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Guess who Sauron is? Also Benedict Cumberbatch. Yep. Who he knew? did a lot of mocap. <laughs> but, oh, that was terrible. Okay. Of the stuff that in the movie, and there were things I didn't like, and one of them was the that effect with the eye, where mm. it was like, eye, man, eye, man. And you were like, what the hell are you doing? That looks terrible. Oh, my I God. I don't actually remember that. I, it was getting a little long in the tooth by that point, and I was like, give me more dragon. Exactly. So- but putting that up against up against Smaug was not good because, like, yeah, like that's like, dragon. oh, my God, it's the scary thing that's going to happen later. And I'm like, yeah, but we've already seen that. I want to see the dragon. Right. It, and that's the thing. We've, we've seen that later yeah. on. We know what, where that's going. And, yes, it's interesting that all this was going on in the background 
around and this yeah. is why Gandalf runs away and blah, 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 blah. And Gandalf's got to learn about prioritization. <laughs> but it is an excuse to have some more Sylvester McCoy and I do quite enjoy having him there. I think he's quite yeah, fun. Yeah, he's kind of fun. And like you get to see action Gandalf, which is kind of fun. Yep. But I did think that that was kind of – I just thought maybe the timing wasn't good or something. It didn't work. Mm. And it looked bad. I mean, it really like that. That effect just made me go, "Oh my god, we can we can figure that out without you doing that." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So that I didn't like. Um. And but one thing I really did like, and a lot of people hated, is the ending. Oh, when well, Bilbo uh, just sort of no, goes, that was perfect. What did we do? And, and, and then it just ends, and you're like, oh, that's that so was great. right. That, that was a good ending. And and I know that like three weeks ago when we watched the Hunger Games, I was all, oh, it ends too suddenly. But it doesn't end suddenly. It ends with. Oh shit! Yeah, exactly. That's what it ends with. With a, oh shit, what have we done? And it's so like, but it's not just that. There's this sense of dread and also personal responsibility. Like we did this. Yeah, what have we done? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and it ends with you know the promise of next movie is gonna be really yeah. like balls to the walls crazy. Yeah, because um, the dragon's out. Yeah. So that was. I thought that was brilliant. When he said that, actually, I was like, oh, I hope the movie ends right now. And it didn't. And I was it so did. happy. And, but everything was right. Just the delivery is well. And Martin Freeman's like the perfect actor to do this because mm. he, he, it, I don't know matter what role he's playing, he, he is that guy. He's that guy yeah. who's like, oh, God, what have we done? Right he was row. interesting as well. Um, it was interesting to see the rings sort of start to take hold of Bilbo a bit mm. in this one. Um, that was really neat. Um, yep. And it was handled well because it's just a sort of underlying thing that's going on at the side without it having to be a main sort of focus, um, which is nice. That's really good. Um, I think that they did a much better balancing act with this one of keeping interest in all these things while still having the thrust of the main plot going on. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that just generally this is like so much better than the first Hobbit movie. Mm, Agreed. um, Which was just not very interesting and not very good. And – I love learning about all this stuff and seeing it all. And it was just really exciting. And like Mirkwood is so interesting and looks cool. And um, Lake Town has its own look to it. Really interesting. Yep. So much better than all those super goblins in the last one. It even had talking spiders. They were kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so your star rating? My star rating was four stars. Yeah, I'm I'm clearly feeling generous tonight because I say four and a half. Good. Yeah, I, had, I think it's was still too long. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of stuff in there that – didn't really need to be like it. I never felt like it was too long, which I did in the first time, but I was like, nope, I love it. Want to be yeah, they, they're putting in too many things from outside. Like the Gandalf thing was yeah. just a bit too much. And there was, you know, we didn't have to have quite so much time on all the other stuff. Like there's just a lot of things that you're yeah. sort of like, okay, I get it now. Let's do the, the next thing. Again, it's it's the, a film made by someone who really lo- knows and loves the yeah. world. And wants to show you as much of the world as he can. Yeah, it's kind of forgivable mistakes, allowed. I guess. Yeah. So it's it's again, it's just a lack of killing your darlings, and that's yeah. the thing is we we knew that was going to happen when it was expanded into three movies. Mm. So that's I don't know. I enjoyed it so much. I'm happy to forgive it. Yeah. yeah. I think I just felt really angry with it for doing the eye thing and making it like because I figured out that that was Sauron. 
ages ago. Oh, I, I thought it was obvious that it was Sauron. Yeah, and I think everybody did. And so to have that, like, in your face sort of thing was – it bothered me. Yeah, I just I, – um, I don't know. I think I was getting tired and didn't notice that. And and a few other things about that whole storyline. that When they went to the tombs and, and you see Gandalf going through the tombs for a while and mm. then he's like, oh, it escaped. And I'm like, I don't care. This isn't interesting. It isn't that exciting. We don't really need this. Mm. And so that's why I think it felt a bit too long to me. They could have yeah. just okay. I know we need to see what Gandalf's doing, but really, like it's already a long movie, and you're already adding heaps of stuff to it. Mm. So pick your battles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I'm going to move on to the next movie, which is the last one we saw over Christmas. Frozen. Yes. Disney's Frozen. Do you have a plot summary there for that one? I do. When Queen Elsa's magical ice powers are let loose on her coronation day, her sister Anna travels through the snow to find her and save the kingdom from eternal winter. Lovely. Yes, based on the Scandinavian fairy tale about the Snow Queen. Right. Okay. So I was, which I really knew nothing, I knew nothing about this going into it other than it was the story of two sisters and that's what it was. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was gorgeous. I really, really enjoyed it. I really connected with it. I loved that the central relationship, the act of love that saves everybody in the end was between the two sisters and was about keeping the family relationship together. I, it was very Disney, very good. And I'm still singing all the songs from it. Okay. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I love the sisters. Yeah. Love the sisters. Love Elsa, who is voiced by Idina Manzel, who is one of my heroes, and I adore her. She played Elphaba in Wicked, who's the, you know, sympathetic Wicked Witch of the West. I sort of feel like when they were making Elsa, they were with the character that she is. They were sort of going, you know what we want for her? Somebody like Idina Menzel. And then they got Idina Menzel. Yeah. Like, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Because Elsa is kind of simi- similar to Elphaba in that she has a power that people don't understand and that when she – like, she doesn't have it as visible as Elphaba does, but when she exposes it, mm. everybody is scared of her and treats her like a monster. And she's estranged from her sister, so there's a kind of a coming together between two women. I think there's kind of this Wicked-esque yeah. Sort of thing going through it. Uh-huh. Um, and it feels like they just went, we should get somebody like that. And then they got that exact person. <laughs> yeah. I So I liked that stuff. I would have liked more Elsa. Yep. I feel like Elsa was kind of pushed aside for some like kid shenanigans. So cute. And yeah, there were a few kid shenanigans. And I didn't really like the kid shenanigans. Like, I you get didn't that like you have Olaf, to. Oh my God. I, I liked Olaf more than I thought I was going to. I still didn't like him. I was fine. I. I I don't know. I just feel like I was fine with him. And the thing is, comparing him to anthropomorphized like sidekicks of previous movies, he's so much more obnoxious. Why? Because in most other movies, you've got like cute little um, monkeys and all that sort of thing. They don't tend to talk for one thing. Mm. Um, and they're more like reindeer Sven, right? Like he doesn't talk. Right. Um, there's there's not a whole lot of the talking. Oh, it's in... more DreamWorksy. It, yeah, oh. it is more DreamWorksy, see, like, and that see, I like the donkey in Shrek. So yeah, I think that moving away from moving towards those kinds of DreamWorks things from previous Disney things that were working fine, and putting in something like because I found an Olaf just less annoying than I thought I was going to, but still just irked me. Okay. Um, and. Yeah, so there was that. I, mm. I mean, before I saw it, I saw the the very first teaser trailer for this movie was Olaf and the reindeer. So the magical enchanted snowman Olaf and the reindeer Sven on an icy lake fighting over the carrot that is Olaf's nose. 
Right. That's the first thing we saw. Nothing of the sisters, nothing of the magic, nothing of, you know, any of that. It's just mm. those two See, I irritating characters. Um, I didn't know anything about it. And then suddenly various of my Twitter and Tumblr exploded about this movie. Yeah. Lots of fan art and that kind of stuff. And I realized that I had to put it on Tumblr Savior. And so I've not seen – I hadn't seen any trailers, didn't know anything about it, except for a little bit of stuff I'd gleaned from fan art, which was the story of two sisters. So I actually kind of went into this one relatively unspoiled. Okay. See, I think that, that I, I'm a bit disappointed that a really good, interesting female-led story is part of Disney's moving away from traditional Disney values into this kind of DreamWorksy, sketchy, funny thing. And the stuff with Anna and Kristoff and Sven and Olaf, mm. there was too much of it. There were a whole lot of bits with them that, and the trolls didn't really fit in. I thought the trolls were weird. They didn't fit into the mythology that was going on. It was kind of interesting, though, because obviously the point is that um, – oh, what's his name? I've forgotten his name. Christoph. Christoph. Christoph is very much, you know, working class and these girls are very much princesses. Yes. And that was – I think the trolls were just sort of to underscore that. He quite literally grew up in a swamp. I know, but see, mm. it didn't it didn't really resonate, okay. I think. Um, and they, they were weird. Like, it, it, they seemed to come from a different movie. In a way. And they never really, like... So you've never had to go home to Bogan family. Huh? Well, it's... If you're a person who presents as, like, middle class or whatever, or moves in circles around people who are of a much higher class than you, you, he's got that sense of going home to his family and people he loves are... But they're a bit embarrassing. Like, he wouldn't necessarily want his friends to see them. Yeah. I just don't know why they had to be magical rock trolls. Yeah. Like it just didn't, and and they didn't. That you don't barely see them, and they're not really a part of the story. Like it's it's just this aside thing that they've sort of put in. So it it just felt a little bit. They like, have one of my favorite songs about him being a fixer upper. <laughs> yeah, it was cute, but again, I didn't really like the songs that much. No, let so it go. Let it go is my favorite song. Yes, like love that. I loved Let It Go. Like that was Idina just killing it. Do you want to build a snowman? Is cute, mm-hmm. and then Let It Go is amazing like just show-stopping the best part of the whole movie amazing. But the other songs I don't even remember. To be fair, they are okay. Oh, there's a, there's one about the snowman. Olaf has a cute little song about how he's really looking forward to being around in the summer. Yeah, but I see, thought that was cute. I know. It just didn't feel like that had anything to do with the story at all. No. Um, I, I just thought it was nice. I know. Maybe it was a kid-pleasing moment. Maybe I'm attracted to the kid-pleasing moments a little too much. Maybe. Because mm. I feel like Disney can do better. And it was kind of a lesser Disney effort. Also, the, there's a thing with the animation. I'm expecting more out of 3D animation now, like more interesting, different visual art styles and all that sort of thing. This was Tangled. Mm. I mean, this was identical to Tangled. The girls in this are identical to the girl in Tangled. Oh, like, so there's some problems here with the animator who was yeah, quoted lead animator. is saying something along the lines of, oh, it's really hard to animate women, so I just draw them all the same. no. He said, it's really hard to animate women, so we can't have too many of them, essentially. Well, right, whatever. Giant dick bag, whatever, yes. whatever it was way you look really at it. It was a really stupid thing to say. And it was like, because they have to still be pretty, but also show emotions. And you're like, what? It's so dumb. It's kind there of the essence of beautiful animation. Women who show emotion. Right. But the thing is, they. But it's, but it's also the essence of animation that you just make characters who show emotion. That's, yes. that's your whole freaking job, but dude. But they still have to look pretty. I yeah. think this is the issue that, like, really, you, you're sort of like, well, no, they don't. 
just enormously yeah. problematic and you can and, see it. And this is why this that 17% figure about crowd scenes in animation in children's movies mm. comes from because they're too lazy to be bothered and you can see a range it, of people. You can see it in Elsa and Anna. Yeah, they look When alike. Anna gets her – when Anna's hair goes white, I couldn't tell which one was Elsa and which one was Anna after. I was like, wait, is it in a plait or two plaits? I can't tell. Like, you know, at the end part right. when they're covered in snow. By, and... Yeah, I think I could tell by who they're hanging out with. Yes. That's, that's, that's pretty much thing. from context. Because I know they're sisters, but they're identical. Mm. And when she's, when she's brown-haired, of course, she looks a lot like uh, end, of, end of Tangled Rapunzel with the short brown hair and stuff. I mean, obviously red. she – Anna's she's... got red hair. Really? Yep. Oh. Well, re- it's dark red, but it's red. Oh, okay. um, so, but they do look exactly. I mean, that's what it is. It's just the girl from Tangled, um, Rapunzel from Tangled, and this is. I mean, that's the problem. It just looks so like there's nothing original here in the art, right? So that's a problem too for me. Having said that, yeah, there's some great feminist stuff about like f- people fearing female power mm-hmm. and fem- and women sticking together and. And, you know, the core of the – I mean, the main romance really in this movie is between Elsa and Anna. Yeah. All of that stuff is great. I really liked the guy who seemed like he was perfect but did a oh, heel face turn and turned out to be a yeah, jerk. I liked, I liked that too. Um, He was terrific. That was well, a really – And, and was... there's a hint of that earlier on because mm. I – there was a moment I remember when he said something to the Alan Tudyk character who I didn't know was Alan Tudyk no. until after when I was looking at the credits. Mm. He said something to him about treason. Mm-hmm. And the guy goes, treason? What the hell are you talking about? Because he's already thinking of himself as the king of the land. And it's something that maybe you might not have picked up on or people might not have picked up on. When I heard that, I was like, oh, is he going to be evil? I hope he's evil. And then he was. Well, and yeah. And of course, it's a really good message about not keeping your daughter locked up. Yeah. Because if you try and protect her and keep her locked inside, she's going to fall for the first bloke who comes along and tells her she's pretty. Yeah. And then, you know, there's that fight between Elsa and Anna. And mm. So it's really interesting. Um, I felt like the more interesting storylines were put aside for other stuff. Comic relief. <laughs> Comic relief. And, like, I like Anna. Yeah. But if you're going to have it about be, be about both Anna and Elsa, it's got to be about Elsa as well mm. instead of just putting Elsa away for a while. What's well, interesting, it's called the Snow Queen, but it's really like Anna does stuff with her, the guy she likes and his yeah. reindeer. And, and magically and enchanted, magically snowman. enchanted snowman. And, yeah, exactly. So, and, and then the Elsa stuff was interesting, but really kind of dark a lot of the time when she is attacked by the um, men and they come up and they try to shoot her mm. and she's, you know, lashing out at them. That was interesting. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's this really sort of – she's just so interesting, man. Like, she – there's an accident when they're little kids and she accidentally hurts Anna. Mm-hmm. And from that point, that's when they decide to cover up her magic. Anna's memories of the magic are taken away from her. Um, One of the stupidest parenting decisions ever, by the way. They didn't. The trolls did. The, well, yeah, the trolls told them that was what the, what they should do, yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous idea. Anyway. Exactly. It was a really bad idea. And then, I mean, a really bad idea because then they're just like Elsa. And then um, the troll says to Elsa, fear is going to be your enemy. And, of course, it's fear of her own power Mm. and fear of herself. Yeah. Right? Like other people's fear of her as well, but it's more her own fear of of her own power. And so, 
Yeah, they. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, just... if it had hadn't made that decision, it would have not had a movie. But it's just the stupidest idea ever. Surely, the better idea is to teach her how to control her power and teach the sister that power can be dangerous and that she needs to be careful and make sure she doesn't, you know, do what she did yeah. in order to. Because Elsa was trying to help Anna when she accidentally hurts her. Yeah. Um, and then that that makes the power bad. Obviously, right. the and power. It's not is the power the... is not the problem. It's the her ability to control it and if she's properly trained she'd be fine anyway yeah of course it's like but that's the thing is that it's not it's a metaphor for women's power and people are scared of yeah. women having power and, and so they try and lock it away and yeah yeah no, and then finally she lets it go in a beautiful song with an awesome bit and the bit with the animation where her hair goes through her arm mm -hmm. and then yeah the end part was really neat mm. it kind of came a bit quickly though like, you almost missed the idea that El when Elsa goes, oh, love, and then she's like, everything's better now. And you kind of almost, it's a blink and you miss it actual moment from Elsa, even though her, that realization should probably be the main part of that. Well, it was, that yeah, cause, but I guess the realization really comes when the act of love th realization happens. Yeah, she, she thinks that Anna's dead and Anna comes back and then she's like, because I love you. And she goes, oh, that's right, love, and everything goes better. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of, there's no, like, examination of that, just sort of happens. There were things I liked about it. I really, really liked about it, mm. right? I think story-wise and uh, and theme-wise, particularly themes in this movie are great. Yep. Thematically, the movie's amazing. It just didn't – they didn't pull it off as well as they could have, especially with the songs. Man, Let It Go is really the only – like some of the other songs I was not into at all. Mm. So Yeah, Let It Go is clearly the breakout star as well of all the songs. Yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure. I'm... A little four-year-old girl belting out Let It Go is yeah. the cutest uh, thing. Coming up on our Tumblr this week and it's adorable. They also, for some reason, have a cover of Let It Go by Demi Lovato, which I have no – meaning no what? disrespect to Demi Lovato and, like, being a pop star. You have it sung by Idina Menzel. Yeah, right. Why is that really to... necessary? Yeah. <laughs> also, they had Jonathan Groff, who's uh, – oh musical star right. play Christoph and he doesn't sing at all yeah, you know what I was we were listening we've got the soundtrack and we listened to it in the car the other day and there was some behind the scenes stuff and they started talking about how they got to the end of the movie and realized they hadn't written him a song so there's one over the credits that he does but they don't give him a they, they hire a guy who is best known for being a Broadway star and then they don't write him a song yeah very very strange weird and they could have easily written him a song instead of for instance Olaf who doesn't freaking need a song <laughs> like you know the it's yeah. just really oh, no, that odd song is silly cute. decisions i'm not i'm not having anything said against the in summer song because that is a dorbies i just oh, it's silly yeah okay. i get that you have to do like kid friendly stuff in disney movies that's fine and everything but they're going in a direction that i'm not fond of okay and they started entangled a little bit, but it was only like minor as compared to the main thrust of that movie was about Rapunzel. Mm. And I thought that was better. Also, they don't have a lot of songs songs sung in, like they they, they don't sing very much in that movie. I think they have one, but yes. it's more impactful because of it. Mm. Whereas this one had like six songs in the first 10 minutes or it felt like it, you it's know, like, it was just like song, 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 song. very song heavy. Yeah. Um, and they weren't that good anyway. That's just how I felt. I, about and the tangled. the one non musical Not person, tangled, frozen, frozen. The one non musical person, Kristen Bell, is carrying a lot of the songs. Kristen Bell sang. Um, yeah. is has been known to be in musical. She's in a musical movie called um, Reefer Madness. Well, obviously she can sing, but she's not known for it. No. I, I didn't know she was a singer. 
before I, this. But I did, but I'm a Chris. I'm a Veronica Mars fan. She yes, sang once on Veronica Mars, and I've seen Reefer Madness, yeah. and just right, I've she, seen her um, sing before. One way or another. Yeah. On Veronica Mars, yeah. Yeah. Ew. So I knew she was. I know she can sing, but she is not a singer, not in the way that I did with Adele yeah. and Jonathan Groff are singers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and she carries a lot of it. Anyway. And the guy who's playing the Olaf, and I can't even remember his Josh Gad. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's just a comedian. He's not a singer. And it was. Oh, he's just an. I find him so annoying. But, like, funny. I mean, he made me laugh a couple of times. Hmm. But I still. And then he ends up being like. You know at the bit at the bit where he comes in to save her from, and puts her in front of the fire yeah. and some people are worth melting for and I'm like stop it <laughs> it's just so cutesy and silly and you know what for I mean once in my life I was not bothered by that but okay oh okay mm. uh, yeah anyway it's moving in the it's fine that DreamWorks has that thing that they've got their thing going on mm. right but Disney has their thing going on too and it's it works so why are they Adopting these ideas that don't really fit into the stories that they're making. Yeah, I <laughs> anyway. I, anyway. Um, we might wrap up now. Anyway. Okay. What was your mark for ta- uh, Tangled Freak? See? Frozen. What was your mark it's for Frozen? It's too much like Tangled. Mm. It is too much like Tangled. Mm-hmm. My, I gave Frozen three and a half stars. And I gave it four. Oh, and it's directed by Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee, the first ever female director on a Disney movie. Mind you, only in a co-directing role. Yes, only in a co-directing role. Can't it's try, like, it's, can't quite trust you on your own yet, ladies. It's the two steps forward, one step back. Like, mm. only in a co-directing role and there's all that sexist stuff about. I keep saying that, by the way. They keep talking about Frozen as being directed by a woman. I'm like, only half. Yeah, and it's that, and also they've had all this sexism around their animator. The animator. Also, some of the songs, the songs were also co-written by a woman. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. A man. Which is, well, yeah, they're a Broadway writing team. Yeah. Anyway, we're yeah. done in the grand tradition of Star Wars. We've done a holiday special. Woohoo! Yay. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you want to read the show notes for this episode or any others, you can do that at our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that on our Facebook page. You can come and hang out with us on Twitter at screen underscore queens. Or you can come hang out at our most favouritest place, Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com, where we spend a lot of time reblogging versions of Let It Go and <laughs> other fun things. Yeah, I have some Frozen stuff lined up. Yes. Not much from the other ones. Oh, I've got a lot of Hobbit I've got stuff. a lot of Hobbit lined up. Lots of Thrain Jewel I've got. Oh, you do? Uh, and you a little bit of Jennifer Lawrence in American Hustle because, again, she's my favourite. Yeah, we've got a bit of a, bit of a few things lined up anyway. <gasps> What? Do you know what I just realised? What? This is Veronica Mars' year. Yes, we do. It's only a few months away. We have all kinds of movies. So firstly, we've got like, for the next few weeks, we've probably got Oscar movies to look mm-hmm. at. And then there's uh, Cap 2. And then there's, and there is um, Train Drag- How Train Your Dragon Part 2. There is something else coming out around the same time as Captain America the Winter Soldier. Uh, we've got, I think it's Guardians of the Galaxy might be this year. I think it's this year. Yeah, there's a bunch of new bunch of stuff. There's um X-Men Days of Future Past. There is Maleficent, which is uh, Maleficent is around is around um middle of the year. There's a whole bunch of new movies. And right at the Mars. end of the year, there's Into the Woods. Yes. Which is a Broadway musical adaptation starring Meryl Streep, Chris Pine and Anna Kendrick. Yeah, so 2014 there is a bunch of movies to look forward to this year. Yeah, and Veronica, so I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, thank Thanks you very for much listening. for listening to Silver Screen Queens. Bye. Bye.